0: The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what shall we send it to its place, they said. If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the Lord of the Philistines, lords of Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on our lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaohs and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never been a yoke. There has never come a yoke and the yoke of the cows of the cart. But take their cows uh, home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in a box at the sides, the figures of gold, which... You are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes away on the cart to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has gone, who has done us this great harm. But if not, then he, we shall know that it is not the hand, his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence." The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the image of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvests in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark of the Lord, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh, and stopped there. A great stone was there and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it in which there were the golden figures and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices and sacrifice sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as guilt offerings to the Lord. One for Ashad, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they sat down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men with Beth Shemesh because they looked at the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Father Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim said, came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at kiriath Jerem, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hello, uh, welcome to our live stream service, and as I look, at, look out to what I would describe as by far the most bizarre Easter morning I've ever been a part of, I'm um, looking at an empty room here, um, some of you are all dressed up with one place to go, to your living room, to your desk, to this live stream service. And um, I wanted to, you saw our band today wearing masks, uh, these masks, and I wanna thank um, Liz Gillespie for making these and putting these together. Um, they're, they're really nice looking too, so, so, so thank you Liz. I'm not gonna wear it because it's hard to hear me um, while I speak this morning, but I will be using it um, when I'm leaving here and walking around. Um, but uh, we're here, nevertheless live streaming to celebrate a living Lord, to celebrate the last, what I would consider the the last greatest, not the only or the final, but the last greatest occurrence in the Christian faith, the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ from the dead. And um, while I know this is a very unusual text for Easter, um, we are going to continue, um, as you can tell in our series in Samuel, and uh, we are going to let, as we've been doing through this book, um, the current widespread effects of COVID-19 help guide our application, but with it being Easter morning the Easter celebration. We will thread together the event and results of Jesus bodily rising from the dead. We'll let that light our way through this passage. You see, whether um, I stated overtly every time I preach, Jesus's resurrection opens, right? It, it unlocks the beauty, applica- application, and clarity of every single scriptural passage in the Bible. Both in the Old and New Testament, his resurrection matters. He is risen. So the scriptures themselves, the Bible teaches us, are alive. Jesus even said it, that all the scriptures speak to and point to and are powerful because of him. And this passage in Samuel for our present dilemma worldwide is no exception. And like some of you, I am learning um, hmm, all sorts of new terms and definitions of words during this COVID-19 time, like all the demic words, right? That all have varying meaning, for example, endemic, right? An endemic, y'all try to remember this, is something that belongs or happens to a particular people or country. Endemic. An epidemic affects a large number of people within a community, population, or region. While, we know this one, a pandemic is an epidemic that spread over multiple countries or continents the world over. It makes me think that you committed believers, we committed believers, some of you wearing your Sunday best typically on Sunday morning. Some of us would have haircuts this morning if our barbershops were open. But but entering this morning all starry-eyed and bushy-tailed, you're ready to let loose and celebrate. Along with a number of you Easter and Christmas time followers, more than ever, you are looking for and believing in a pandemic hope, a, a, a worldwide cure and comfort for human brokenness. But you're doing it as a 2,000 year old religion epidemic of Christianity that all started and was fueled by a small what was an endemic occurrence of the resurrection of Jesus sometimes though that kind of hope try, trying to hold on to that kind of hope especially in times like this if we are honest can be like gasping and experiencing Jesus through a straw like like straining and struggling for faith, where we are longing and needing more for Him, but from Him, but as we will discover from today's passage, guess what? This is the feeling. This is what the promise of and real power of resurrection life for our world looks like. With that said, last week Pastor Josh um, preached a powerful, passionate sermon entitled "A Philistine Pandemic," where. After the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, which again is like a golden trunk, or throne replica, which, which, which served as a holy sign, symbol, and testimony of God's presence and guidance in the life of his people. And, and, and taking the Ark, they took the Ark as a relic in spoil of their and their God Dagon's victory over the God of, of the Bible and his people. The Philistines placed the ark in the temple and before the statue of the Philistine god, Dagon. And the Bible tells us that Dagon gets straight clowned by the God of Israel. Supernaturally, the statue is beheaded and the hands are severed. And then in diseased horror, God causes tumors to grow in the groins of the Philistine men in that country. The Bible says it this way. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. He terrified and afflicted them. And so the Philistine leaders, right? Um, there, there is a mass, as, as, as Pastor Josh talked about it last week, there is this pandemic. Um, Philistine was a bunch of city-states gathered together. Everybody was suffering from the same disease. And so they called together their religious shamans, right? Their, their priests and, and, and asked what to do. And they did what they knew to do. Send the ark away. <laughs> Give it back, right? Return it. Let it go, right? Uh, let, let the ark return. And it is the return that I want us to focus on today a return that mirrors and accurately characterizes Jesus' resurrection and return from the dead in three ways and three sermon points for those who like to write them down, I want us to embrace today. First, he returned as the disputed Lord over the world. Secondly, he returned for an unimpressive people. And finally, he returned to convince us of his love. He returned as the disputed Lord for an unimpressive people to convince them and us of his love. So the Philistines make the decision that the best thing for them to do with this living, all-powerful God, their mist seen in this object was to give him back. And in doing so, grant him a moral victory. We see this as they make trophies of, 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 of Israel's Lord's victory over Dagon and they give it back to God through uh, gold uh, images of the tumors and, 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 put, and, and, the, and mice and put them on the cart. Uh, with the ark. And, and, and you know what? It's a new cart. It's a respectable, honorable cart with golden replicas again of the tumor that were mice uh, and mice and, and, and looked like mice in their appearances. And, and then they let cows pull the loaded cart back into Israeli territory. And they even say that if the cart makes it back, get this, without a driver, to Israelite terrible then, right? So they, they set up this, this test, this, this, this test that they as, as Philistines could, could, could be able to tell what was really going on. It says, then we will know that it was truly God and not karma or an incident or a rare occurrence that, that a small G God in Israel won this round. And you know, because he won this round, he should be respected. Plus, look at what he did to the Egyptians when they were sore losers. Our economy couldn't withstand those plagues. But here's the thing. The description of their actions are telling us that they conceded a loss to a God that they see as their opponent, as their enemy. They do not, the Bible tells us, actually honor him as their one and true and only God. In fact, instead of repenting and destroying Dagon, right, tearing that statue down and disassembling their belief system, they actually confirm their belief system by sending God and the grace of God represented by the ark and all of its power away, right, away from them to, as they say it, to to its place right? And that place is not on the throne over their lives and hearts and their ways, but in a place away from having control and lordship over their lives. And thus, our first point, the ark and its return. And in the resurrection, the Lord God became and returned as what I would describe in the world's eyes as a disputed, disputed and disputable Lord. Because though having beat death, When we talk about the resurrection, right? The sin of the cross beat hell and and overcame divine uh, judgment. When Jesus rose, he overcame all the world's enemies, sins and diseases, like the ark did in Ashdod, right? Though he carried our sins away and and rid us of them on the cross and, and stood in victory over them, hear me, he overcame the world without taking over and winning over. The world. It reminds me, I'm still kind of salty. As a Clemson graduate and fan, I get salty about everything that isn't orange, right? When Clemson beat Alabama the first time a couple years ago, well, a few years ago. All the sports shows talked about more, more. The sports shows talk more about why. Bama lost, than how Clemson was the kings of college football. Irritating when you love your school. Then, and then think about it. And then even the second time, when Bama got beat worse this time, You know, Tua wasn't 100%. Clemson got lucky. They caught Bama on a bad day. Clemson had a decisive win on the field, but they did not beat the SEC and Crimson Idols. The Philistines are not admitting ultimate defeat. In fact, as we will see in the rest of Samuel, they continue their dispute with the Lord and his people that they are the champions, right? He did knock the Philistine empire down in one event, but he did not take them out. He didn't obliterate them. He didn't make them close their program. He did not win them over. They did not become God of Israel fans even after all they saw and heard. No, they came back stronger than ever. In Goliath, the giant whom we'll see later, they actually grew stronger in opposition to the ark thing. They went back and reset and reestablished themselves as those who were not following the Lord. This is hard to hear, but I believe that it could be, I'm not prophesying anything. I'm just using this as, a, as an illustration. That if it could somehow be determined that God sent this virus thing as a plague on the world, right? Let's just say he did and we found out about it. Something came from the sky. Everybody had the same dream or something like that. And then he comes in and says, hey, I'm healing everybody. You know what would happen? the divinity and power of Jesus, the resurrected Lord would still be disputed. The resurrected Lord right? They, they would not be completely respected. Sure, I believe people would send thanks and, and even money and, and, and some folk would show up to church for a few weeks and, and, and there would even be like this after game handshake. Y'all won, God won, he's the man, give, and give us a trophy of respect for Christianity. But they would not necessarily become true worshipers and followers and lovers of the creator God. I mean, the place Jesus rose, did you think about it? Was a, let's look at it in a worldwide view. Jesus rose in what was a small Roman conquered, controlled and oppressed Commonwealth, right? He, he, he didn't rise in, 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 in Washington DC, right? He, he, he didn't rise in, in New York or Chicago, right? He, 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 he rose in a, in a vacation spot, right? In, in a commonwealth location, in, in a poor town somewhere. And on top of that, what, that, what, what did the world and the world leaders that most people listen to say when he rose? His disciples stole a body. And, and then a number of the religious and philosophical folks said, and they continue to say the same thing, The hope of his resurrection was so much in his followers' minds. They so believed this crazy thing. So much faith, okay? Faith is separate from a living God in the minds of many. It's just your degree of belief, your crazy belief, right? That they had so much faith, to them, it was true. The, the, they imagined or dreamed it or hoped it into a whole religion, but they did not truly see him. And even if he, get, get this now, even if he did rise, great, where is he? And what did it do to change things in ways that really count? The Roman empire rolls on, Christians getting killed every moment rolling over people who need what he died for in the life, death, and then resurrection of Jesus, if in the life, death, and then resurrection of Jesus um, overcame anything and everything the world could through him or us, if he could have overcome anything, sorry, y'all, he did not take it over or win the world and its people over with his return. And you know what? Sometimes believers are not so different, right? Have y'all heard about this debate about whether Jesus can be savior without being the Lord of someone's life? Remember there used to be this diagram, and I remember this diagram in a track from old school days where it showed you that you could get saved, but then there is this empty throne, Right? And you must be willing to let and put Jesus on the throne of your heart. Remember that? Some of you. And that's because for every one of us, though he rose from the grave, that though he defeated death and returned to life after the grave, we still, when we sin, dispute his lordship. And in the glory and greatness of what is celebrated on Easter morning, the raw truth is the world continues on in its version of power, in its apathy towards a thing of God, God, uh, pain and suffering and doing what they want, where they are free, it seems, to dismiss God like the Philistines, to send God to his room, to his place, to the retirement home of ancient God's faith and belief. Though he rose as Lord, to be the disputed Lord of the world. I've heard it put this way in one of our theology books. Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection is limited in its scope of, God, of what God wanted to accomplish through it, but is unlimited in its power and ability to reach and do what, when, when how and to who God wants to do it. And look at who he wants to do it for and return for. Our second point here. He returned for an unimpressive people. Let me remind you of why the ark had to be returned. Returned, right? Why did it even have to come back in the first place? The Bible tells us that God's people turned it over when they took it in the battle. God's people lost a turnover battle, right? They fumbled. They threw a pick with the ark. They dribbled off their feet. And the Philistines recovered. They intercepted. They picked it up and took it to the house, the house of Dagon to be certain, right? And I want to say this as nicely as I should, but when the ark returned, Understand, God returned to a bunch of fallen, failed, losers as far as the world was concerned. They were weak, limited. Not very good in battle and using the ark the way they did. They even admit that they were not in and of themselves much better than the Philistines. They didn't even attempt, the Bible tells us, to go back and get the ark back. Just out of maybe some kind of national or personal or spiritual pride. No, they abandon it. They just go on living. Very similar thing, right? If you remember the story of the resurrection... When Jesus rose from the dead that morning, what does he find? His followers cowering and hiding behind a locked door in fear and, and some of them went back to work as usual, right? Back to fishing, just unimpressive. Jesus must've been like Buster rhyme style, where are my soldiers at, right? And then the first folks he appears to are the women. Those considered the least to be believed, least in social respectability and influence. And then Jesus appears to disrespected, poor, working middle-class and social justice fanatics. People who people don't listen to. You're just a bunch of fanatics. You think Israel's going to rise up against the Romans? Man, please. With that Israeli power stuff, right? I mean... Think about it. Jesus is, was born to poor, unmarried, to a poor unmarried couple, right? F- from the wrong side of town and sends his birth announcement and invitation to the baby shower to shepherds, right? He starts a grassroots failed political campaign that ends with his death and then resurrects and returns to women and scary fishermen to see him. And just like the ark doesn't return to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel with the pomp and parade, it, but it returns to a rural. Border town of wheat farmers without a real altar or, or, or temple. Jesus didn't resurrect in Rome, and, like I said, and show himself to Caesar or the Roman officials or even the religious leaders of Israel. He returns to who? An unimpressive, unbelievable, broke and broken people. The resurrection, like the return of the ark in our passage, based on just who and, and how he returns was not a pandemic occurrence. It was not some world mind blowing, people in power, influencer backed, impressive people knowing thing, putting it all their publications. It was at best a religious endemic that through his followers became the epidemic of Christianity that we know today. But the point, even today, the resurrection. Powerful as it is, belongs to the unimpressive. The belief in it belong to people who admit they are broke and broken sinners. The Bible even tells us that, that the resurrected Lord comes back and, and manifests himself to those who have little or no power in and over the world. And even beyond that, they're more than broken sinners. Did you see from this passage that God returns to and for religious failures? We we ain't even good at religion. Apart from losing the ark and and a completely theological misunderstanding of their relationship with God, when it returns, our passage tells us that the Israelites in the town the cart stops in, they get some priests and there's some question about who these priests are and where they came from. Right? They found some folk. Maybe they got their priesthood online. We don't know, but at this time anything was possible. They said Levite priest, but again, some commentaries like we don't we don't know that, right? They just called them that. They just wore a uniform, possibly, right? But that was the Israelites in the town, they get some priests to get the ark, and then they take the ark cart apart like this wooden cart they break it up use it for kindling wood to do a burnt offerings of the cows that were pulling the ark that's good that's good right because burnt offering shows that they know they have sinned that they are broken that they disputed God's lordship in their lives but look at what happened in large part because the spiritually and religiously because spiritually and religiously they were a mess Look at verse 19 again in our passage. It says here, And God struck some of the men of Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord has struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall we go up away from us? So they sent messages to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Man, this sounds familiar. Sounds just like the Philistines they don't want god right it says the town rejoices in the beginning when they see it and then they send the ark away they don't want it they are not happy with how god is being god and then it sits in national storage for 20 years at somebody's house in somebody's shed Y'all remember the end of Indiana Jones and the, uh, and, and the Lost Ark? At the end, the ark opens up and it kills all these folk. They get it back and then you see it being rolled down by some dude with his name on his shirt to a little storage facility in some high, you know, security area. This is what they did. The ark returns to people who are religious failures. Whose faith fails? are disobedient. And then on top of that, we'll forget and forsake and turn God away when things are too holy for them. You know, we believers are people who will sin for years and years and years in the same way. And sometimes we are even tempted to send God stepping and close him up in a way as we close parts of our lives to him. I've been listening to some of this stuff and people will send me things. And some of the prophecies and behaviors of some of us religious leaders and some of us believers over this COVID-19 thing, I mean, people that they believe God and Jesus has returned to, has resurrected for, whom God belongs to and whom belong to God. Some of these folk have lost their religion, Right? They've twisted theology and some even their faith where they are taking the Lord and, and like the, the Israelites did that day, looking at, and, and looking at the ark, um, you know, looking at God um, like the Israelites did in the ark in our passage. And, and the re- regular Israelite non-priest were for, were, was forbidden to look at the naked ark, okay? Not only literally, But here's what it pointed to. Looking at the ark would be like folks looking meant that they wanted it, right? Let me explain. Like they saw it and God as a controllable possession, right? It's holy. It's his. He does with it what he wants. But if we were to look at his power and his purposes and his presence, it is in our hearts to try to, ignore it or control it or even despise it. They didn't consider the will and way of God holy when they looked at it. Their hearts were off. Like many of us who are gazing, we're looking at the world. And as we do it, some of us are looking at God's sovereignty and his purposes in the face with a degree of contempt where we're confronting God's sovereignty and power, blowing and spitting and prophesying, and and many will even eventually turn him away completely or put him in storage until this thing is over. (laughs) Like the Israelites back then, we, we sacrifice and serve, right? Like they did, have a good service, and we give him our sins. We like that. But when Jesus acts out as our Lord and not just our cleanup guy or good luck charm or tool to overtake and win over and manage our world, especially as his people who should not be going through this, we become unimpressed with him as a risen king. We see his performances underwhelming for our life And our world. I mean, I've thought it. Why? Why did you have to come back the way you did? Why did you have to resurrect Lord to these fishermen? You should have gone to Caesar. They should have pictures of you all over the place and all the pagan literature. We saw Jesus, the whole world saw him. Why? Why can't you just be the undisputed champion of the world for real? Why can't you unify the belts, right? Why can't you take the pagan world over and this world over and this country over and these people over in a way where nobody could ever say Jesus was a fantasy, his disciples stole his body, where is he? Instead, it just seems that God shows up with his own people and just shows and points out our weaknesses and how unimpressive we are. And I think that's true, how we do our faith out there, right? Politically, how we all get involved and we're all deep into the things of the world. And it's almost like we're saying, go ahead, God, take over the world the way we want you to, right? Like, oh, win it. God, we're going to put you in a championship game. And Jesus, what's he do? He lays down and he allows somebody else to win so that they can experience grace. No, we want them to win. Jesus rose and returned endemically to an unimpressive not completely convincing in people like you and me which ironically all should bring us immense joy and hope this Easter morning I mean think about it the fact that God the father would give and then resurrect and have Jesus return to and for the likes of you and me, says that this God must really love us and obviously returned and rose, our third point, to convince us of and call us to his amazing love. You see, when the Philistines' leaders decide to send the ark back to its place, did you hear the description? They put it on this cart, and then attached it to, not a horse, not a donkey, not oxen, to milk cows. Milk cows. That only milk cows want to do is get back to their calves, right? To, to, to take care of their calves, to, to get back to, to, to the field, to eat some grass, right? To, that, that, and, and these are untrained cart pullers. These cows would not know how to travel along a path. They wouldn't know what's on their back. The Bible says they were un, never had the yoke put on them. You ever put a yoke on? You ever put a yoke on somebody, on, on an animal that never been trained? You ever try to walk a dog that never been walked with a leash? You're like, come on, it's joking, right? Sometimes you just gotta. No, it's hard. Th- these cows would not know how to travel over, and they aren't used to pulling any weight and they were sent along get this without a driver they had a driver though didn't they because this was a test of whether it was a lord for real if the cart returned to the people who fumbled it then it was a lord look at verse eight through nine how they say this in, in, in chapter six and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in a box at its side and, and figures of gold, box sometimes is interpreted, saddle, bag, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes on, it's gone the way to its own land, to beshemesh, then it is he, God, who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. And then the cart, the Bible tells us, goes all the way back to the Israeli side of the border. And look at the description in verse 12 through 14. And the cows went straight, the Bible says, in in the direction of Beth Shemes along one highway, lowing as they went, they turned neither to the right nor to the left. I'm sure there was a lot of eat, eat along the way. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the field. He, hear this description. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. And then they had a sacrifice. You know what this reminds me of? This, you know, I have some favorite movies. One of them is The Color Purple, right? This is the end of the Color Purple movie. When Celie sees her sister off in the field, right? And they run to each other. Like She lifts her eyes up and she just sees her coming at a distance. Or for you cartoon fans, this is when Marlon sees Nemo, right? You're found. The Bible says the people of God in that town, they lift up their eyes and rejoice. This is saying they are spiritually and emotionally down, y'all. They beat down. They just working, right? They see their ark and it lifts them. It, it raises their hope that guess what? God has returned to us and God has returned for us. Their ark returned where it did, to who it did, not because any person wanted it or anybody willed anything in their own power or good heart. God so loved his people in the world that he wanted to return, not to overtake the world, not to take down the world powers, not to be a tool of politics or be weaponized by us to make demands of our struggles. No, he returned to be our God and for us to be with him as our father God. Jesus rose and didn't just go up. He returned and came back to his people because he wanted them to know that his purpose in returning return in such an endemic mad, mad, manner was an endemic love for sinners like them for failures like them, broke and broken people like them. The resurrection return of Jesus said, he loves us for real. His return is so that he can continually convince us that while we were yet sinners, God loved us in Christ Jesus. That though the wages of sin is death for us, people who fumble him all the time, that he gifted Jesus to give us eternal life. That that God so loved the world of people, just like you and me, that he came back here this straight way, undeterred by power and politics and revenge, winning or being fully respected in the undisputed Lord in the eyes of the world. He just wanted to win you and me and take us and bring us over to himself. That's the joy of the Lord's resurrection. He has come back and for people and to love and keep his promises for people who can't keep theirs for him. Who are scared more than sacred. Who are too broke and broken and discouraged and lost to go find him who can't make a straight path for themselves for his righteousness to go to God. So he came back straight, a way down a crooked path of sin for them, to them, to us, out of a desire to be our loving and caring God. And nothing can stop that and take that away. That's what the resurrection teaches us and tells us and puts hope in us, that it was not about him overcoming the world to impress the world but overcoming the world so that we could know that there's nothing in the world within without us that could stop us or separate us from the presence, power, purpose, arms, and love of God in Jesus Christ. And this is why you have a pandemic hope today in the midst of a broken world. Look at chapter seven with me. This is hope. Lived out. I know we want to end the sermon right there. <laughs> but look what happens after the men die and they want to send the ark away. It says the men of Kiriath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to, take, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerem, a long time passed some 20 years says this and all the house of israel lamented after the lord look at what happens (sighs) things are messy the philistines still there god didn't kill him he just gave him tumors and the people of God are just not feeling the resurrection power in the world. Easter Sunday's over in this passage I just read. The ark, the power and presence of God has been out of sight in fear and distrust of the Lord for 20 years. Where they don't feel holy enough and too broken to trust him. And the Bible says they lament after the Lord. COVID-19 and it's many issues, family relationships. Some of us are marriages, finances, our relationship with our kids, our loneliness. All those things that you would hope that Jesus would have and could have and can deliver us from has caused great pain and faith failure and questioning of his lordship in the world and and, and his love for us, does he even powerfully answer prayers anymore? The hope of the resurrection today is not just in the joy, but in times like this, in the power of the lament. You see, a lament, it's not a complaint only. It's not a cry out of pain only. It isn't just expressing frustration or anger. It is grieving. And all of those real felt things as those with a pandemic hope in a risen Lord. Everything is in his hand because we know he still loves us and is with us kind of hope for everything and anything. You hear that? The apostle Paul who faced many hardships as a follower of Jesus in the early days of the faith, lots of death in a time where look, if you got sick, you know, one many doctors, one many antibiotics. Folks didn't make it. And folks thought, hey, we're Christians. We, 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 we can't die. We're, we're believers. We got greater. This shouldn't be happening. And he sent, said this to a group of believers grieving in the face of losing people. He said this. We do not grieve as others who do not have hope. We do not grieve as others, right, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We don't grieve. We don't lament. We don't go through this suffering right now. We don't quarantine, right? We don't get sick. We don't lose loved ones even in the midst of all this mess as those who don't have hope because we believe that Jesus died but he rose again. Did you hear that we do grieve? But as those with hope, we lament, and we long for, and we need after the Lord for our sins, for that impossible painful marriage, or relationship status, or struggle in sexuality, or your job, or money problems, for being treated fairly, for all the issues in getting older and being lonely, for our pain, for our failures, for COVID-19, for our unfortunate idolatry revealed through it. He rose so that we can rejoice for and lament after him to Lord intervene. Lord come, Lord reach us, Lord comfort us, Lord touch us where we hurt to desire, to to be expected and be visited, asking for his love, his fathership, his lordship that we will be able to know and experience, hear me, the fullness, the fullness God completely present and committed in his love for us, the fullness of his resurrection through, yes, the straw. That is Jesus. So that on this resurrection Sunday, we'll be sure to live by grace and long for his return and redemption. As those who have Even though we grieve, even though we're in a dark place, because he rose again. In the suffocating squeeze and struggles of life, we have him. And he's come because he loves us. We have him. And he has us because he rose Because he returned to us. What a joy. What a joy. We can lift our eyes up and see Jesus has come back. We can lift up our eyes and and look to the hills because Jesus is going to come back. But we can also live in this world with a hopeful lament. That says, please, Jesus. Come back. Come back. We know we can't force you back. But you came the first time because you loved us. And for that, we know. We have a pandemic hope. That you will bring a pandemic redemption. When you come back again. This is the hope of the resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. Oh, for all the joy of looking 2,000 years back, Lord, and looking at a scripture that continues to live, we rejoice. Our eyes are lifted up towards you and your purposes as they come into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for that joy. We rejoice. We repent. You're here, so we rejoice and we repent and we remember and we even return to you. But for the sorrow we feel, rise up in us. A hope that says, Our God loves us because he came back for us. And Lord, when you do, when, when, Lord,
0: in Jesus' name, amen.